This is the Music Fit Podcast, the place where we unleash your inner rock style. I'm your host, Mike the Schwartz, and I'm going to bring the heat on the shit that's going to help you level the F up in whatever area of life you're currently feeling stuck. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to announce our guest here today, the Snow Ninja himself, Steel Mace Flow educator, word wizard of the Enlifted Tribe, my dear friend, Mr. Jeffrey Oaks. We go back from a couple different communities. We're going to be talking about everything from affirmation, spiritual gangsterism. I'm just going to let him do the do the talking here. This is going to be a great show. I'm very excited to finally get this fella on the show. I've been working with him for, for quite some time, and uh, we're going to bro down. That's for damn sure. Without further ado, let's bring the Snow Ninja in. Here we go. There's the dude, Mr. Jeffrey Oaks. With breakfast. I was gonna say, dude, that's class. <laughs> that's that's what we do around here, man. You know. How I tried to get, I tried to get the last bite down before you logged in, but you <laughs> caught me. <laughs> caught me feeding the earth. I was gonna say, what a like, what a what a special moment too. We got Clutch Earth Rocker. Feeding the earth, getting the food in. They say the best things are are worth waiting for. And I'm more than happy to, to sit and, and and let you enjoy your delicious breakfast. What were you eating? Um, some uh, some smoked salmon, a little bit of cream cheese, topped off with a bagel. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Dude, that's... Not, uh... not, not keto today, man. No. No, no we're just... We got a big workout. We're be we're gonna be talking. We're gonna burn those. <laughs> we're ready to go. I had my bullet coffee. I'm on the tea now. So oh hell yeah, I got you. I got you now. So yeah. I'm ready to rock, man. What's uh, what's shaking in your world, man? Ooh, we got some big things shaking. Um, I'm you know the big thing that's going on in my world with what I do is expansion. Um, looking to expand what I do, expand what I put out there and expand what I offer to the world. Um, I think I'm very, at this point, if you know me, you know, I'm a steel mace flow coach. If you know me, I'd say there's a reasonable chance, you know, that I'm also a mindset coach. And if you really, really know me, then there's this possibility you might know that I'm also a breathwork coach. So my, uh, you know, the expansion that I'm looking at that I'm creating is going to be making sure that if you know me, that you know that I'm also a mindset and a breathwork coach in addition to a steel mace flow coach. Yeah. And I mean, I gotta, that's why it's like, we tend to wear like with your personality, I'm, I'm, I, I find that I'm very similar in approach. I'm like, yeah, I wear this hat and then 17 other hats and people know me as either an artist, depending yeah. on the community or somebody knows me maybe as a coach, maybe as a steel mace right. coach very unlikely that that's the lead though right so it's it's very cool and i love how you talk about that with layers um to to wind it back just a sec too when we talk about 
the song that you bring in, this is a couple times mm. I've seen this one come up for you. How does how does Clutch's Earth Rocker, how does that fit into the personality of who Jeffrey Oaks is? Man, what a what a super cool question to ask. Um, first of all, if you know me, <laughs> you probably know that Clutch is like my favorite band. I'm gonna take the like out of it. I mean, they're my favorite band. I've been a uh, a big fan of them since 1994, um, when I was in a cornfield in Dexter, Michigan, partaking of some of the sacred herb in the back of an Eldorado. <laughs> when this song called Binge and Purge came on, um, and I was just like, what is this? Um, at the time, I was big into you know, ministry and nine inch nails. And I had, uh, I had started going down this like gothy industrial rabbit hole. Um, and clutch like started to pull me out of it a little bit, which was really cool because they had this, um, you know, one, it's just a bit more rocking. It's a bit more upbeat. Um, and there was this thing going on with the lyrics that, uh, I wasn't used to. And that was, it was telling stories. And they had this kind of like hip hop sensibility with the way that he told stories. So there would be like songs where he was like very, um, almost seemed like he was bragging, but it wasn't like hyper aggressive. It was just self-assured. And in the sea of like nihilistic lyrics and like victim mentality music that I had been listening to, it, it, it just came up like this shining star. And, and suddenly, instead of being excited about how depressed I could be, I was excited about this song where he's singing over and over like, yes, I'm a new world samurai and a redneck nonetheless. And that spoke to me, you know, being into uh, being into martial arts, idolizing samurai and, you know, growing up in a small town in uh, southeastern Michigan. Right, man. What a, what a cool story. And how bring us to. Yeah, right? right. And to bring us to Earth Rocker, which is um, you know, more recent, I think that song came out in um, 2012 or something like that. So, you know, not quite as far back as 1994. But there's something about it. Um, it's just all about breaking limits. Um, you know, one of the one of the refrains is, um, I don't care about any dB limit or decibel limit. It's like we're here. We're here to rock and just singing like over and over. I'm an Earth Rocker. I'm an earth rocker. And I mean, that's the chorus. Hear me now. I'm an earth rocker. Um, and, and I love that because, you know, in our world, we would call that an affirmation. Yeah. It's an I am statement followed by an identity. Yeah. And that identity of an earth rocker, man, that can mean so many things. And I'm sure to Neil Patrick Fallon, the singer, to him, it means he's traveling around the world rocking it. Like, you know, just exposing people to some feel good stoner rock, um, you know, adding a little bit of the the blues and the groove into it. But to me, it means like, man, I'm here to rock the world. I'm here to shake the world. I'm here to uh, help people shake the world and shake off all the dust and create space for themselves for this so they can grow. Um, I want to see them get past their own decibel limits. Dude. I want to get myself past my own decibel limits, too. So, um so that song, it just, it just speaks to me big time, man. It's like, it's fun. It's a little silly. Um, it's got this heavy groove to it. So it's, if you, if you don't pay attention, you might take it too seriously. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And in listening to it, I can, everything you just said too, is that, you know, when we have those, I am statements, 
how cool is it earth rocker i am is is your root affirmation right so in a weird sense he's like a vagabond he's a he's a troubadour he's traveling around rocking out and that is his home that is where mm -hmm. he is his best that's his root that's his foundation right yeah, man. and i'm sure others will get a, a, a many many different interpretations but from where i what i know of the snow ninja himself very similar, right? And in, in a sense of, of being able, and that's, that's where I thought, you know, okay, well, we've got multiple hats. How do we, how, for, I'm sure you and I are not the only people in the world that like, I'm all of these things. Yeah. How do I, how do we, what are you doing to, to, to bring those different, uh, those different layers in so that everybody knows exactly what you've got there, uh, in order to help both yourself and then them heal. Yeah, man. Um, Again, a super great question. You know, what, what I have been doing is tricking people into mindset coaching and breath coaching through leading with steel mace flow. Um, so if you if you come train steel mace flow with me, whether it's live or over the Internet, um, you're going to be exposed to mindset training, whether you know it or not, whether you want to or not. I'm going to start addressing your language and your self-talk. Um, we're going to start talking about where you want to go with the practice, what your long-term vision is. So I start, I start sneaking it in, man. Um, and I do the same thing with breath too, as we uh, you know, start to get comfortable with the movements. I start to look at for the ways that we can pair up the inhales and the exhales with movements and uh, negation acknowledge. It's not that there's a right or wrong, wrong way to do it. It doesn't always have to be, you know, exhale with extension, inhale with contraction or anything like that. It's, it's, it's about finding a feel. Um, so for the last couple of years, man, I've been I've been tricking people into that. And I've even led a little bit with mindset coaching. I've put it a little bit out there. I do have a few clients I work exclusively like mindset and story work coaching with. Um, and only recently have I taken on clients that I'm doing exclusively breath work with. So to answer that question, um, I'm going to start putting it out there more, brother. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to start a process of reintroducing uh, myself on the social media, which is usually where people find me. Um, Instagram is, is is really the big one that I use the most. Um, so I'm going to start interjecting more of that. So when people see my feed, they they see more than the snow ninja. Now, if you see that and you read the captions, you'll start. You you've already been exposed. But I'm going to acknowledge that. Not everyone is reading those captions. Not every view on the video counter corresponds to someone who read and thoughtfully digested the essays that I typically include along with my with my post. Um, so I'm going to start putting that out there more, more on the forefront. That's fantastic. And that's the biggest challenge I see is as we talked like, to most of the audiences, uh, again, either interested in music or their creative piece. And what I tend to see in that that type of archetype of a, of a person, we love to do all these things. And that's one of the biggest challenges is like, how do I put myself out there? And this could be a really deep question. How do I put myself out there where I've got multifaceted layers of who I am? I know I ran into a big problem back when I was Mike the speed skater and I identified as a speed skater. I was a similar problem. Well, what happens when you get injured and you're no longer speed skating? You identify from that. Right. It's a dark world, I tell you. And, and the same thing happens with 
being a musician when the band breaks up what happens when you're the drummer in the band and well now you don't have a you know these things and that's a common that's a common story and what what kind of things would you suggest to people and what kind of things are you doing that limits that identification as um, you are a steel mace coach or you are a breathwork coach because those are all layers to you you see like how do how do we encompass all of that and still hold true to to who we are as an identity you know um i love this question too man you're killing it with the question so part of what i've done in order to um make some of those growing pains a little bit easier is i've created for myself a bit of this uh abstract identity so like for instance if you log on to my instagram page and you look at my profile um what it says is movement mindset breath intention and flow steel mace flow and i identify myself as a spiritual gangster samurai general pirate jedi knight warrior poet there aren't a whole lot of limits in that identity and i do believe that the things that I put at the top, movement, mindset, and breath, fit very, very well into that broad stroke category I've created for myself. Um, and that's all by design, man. That's not negation acknowledged. That is not just to be funny, kitschy, or make myself sound cool or more thoughtful than I am or anything like that. That's That's partially a filtration process. It's part of the filters that I put out there to make sure that the people who find their way to me are the right people to find their way to me. For instance, there are going to be people who see some of my steel mace work. They're going to look at my profile. They're going to read that and go, who the heck is this guy? And then they're going to go to a different profile and find something that they connect with more. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to come to my profile, see that and go, who the heck is this guy? And then they're going to want to know more. Yeah. So as far as identity goes, what uh, what I decided to do is is create an identity for myself that is flexible in a way, but still vivid in the picture that it creates. There it is. It was one of the first things I noticed, actually, when I started diving in in your world. Um, to, it was through the Steel Mace flow community, of course, first. And then I learned that you were also in Lifted, And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And uh, the thing that caught my attention was actually the thing that resonated the most was the fact that you had that, you know, the the warrior poet samurai thing. I think actually even for a little while I I I copied some some sort of like thing. I was I was like you know sonic alchemist savage yeah. pirate gangster unicorn tamer something along those lines, right? And because I I do resonate with that. And it sounds like what you were saying. You said something that really caught. Uh, caught my attention really piqued my interest on that is it sounds like you've had in the past the wrong people in your uh, in your like working with oh, is sure. that is that true and how do how do we get around that being coaches or or being artists how do we make sure our audience is the right thing and what do you do when you don't have that right mm-hmm. you got somebody that's just yeah. like a, ugh, not a good fit what what have you done in the past yeah this is you know, this is a fun challenge as a coach and when we operate in a scarcity mindset, we're very likely to attract the wrong people because we're in the wrong mindset, right? I mean, I think we can all agree that a scarcity mindset, you know, while there's a, you know, a certain benefit to having that hunger to and drive to go after something, when we think in terms of, of scarcity, it's like, I'm going to 
take every opportunity that comes my way because I need to keep the lights on and I got to keep food on the table. Now, there's a lot to be said for like, uh, was it Mickey Singer's surrender experiment where uh, you basically say yes to every opportunity because you're going with the flow of life and want to open your heart up to where that takes you. Um, that's not coming from a scarcity mindset, though. That's coming from a mindset of love and exploration. So, but where, where a lot of coaches and where I certainly faltered, especially in the early goings is I just felt like I needed anyone who would be willing to work with me at all. I would immediately take them on. And, and that, that winds up with a lot of sessions that are not super fun where you're just showing up and punching the clock, doing the thing and then leaving. You know what? They're doing the same thing. Your clients are doing the same thing. So neither one of you is ultimately going to have an amazing experience. Yeah. So, so, so paying t- attention to that and, and, and shifting your mindset away from scarcity and thinking in terms of who are the kind of people that I have fun working with? Who are the kind of people that, um, that see me and see me the way I want to be seen? And also remembering that aside from the identity that I put out there, it's not really about me anyway. It's all, it's all about them. So, um, you know, at the end of a session, you know, most coaches have a, an idea of how the session went, you know, you'll have the, you know, just like as a musician, I'm sure you have shows where you get off stage and you're like, yeah, crushed it. That was awesome. You feel like you're just in the groove the whole time. And then I'm sure there are sets when you come off stage and you're like, yeah, we, we were, the rhythm section was falling apart a little bit. We weren't, we weren't, <laughs> We weren't synced up and even though it was a great song it didn't sound as good as it could have because the beat wasn't there right um so when you see things like that it's really important to pay attention um it's also as a coach it's important to as you move away from a scarcity mindset to be really focused on your own scope what what your skill sets are for instance right now if someone comes to me and it's like jeff i really wanted to clean up your kettle my kettlebell swing I'll be like, cool. I know a guy. It's not me. Yeah, isn't that isn't that interesting? I I I really resonate with that. Yeah. Um, I learned that very young in my strength and conditioning coaching career too. As when we went as trainers did, we we went on vacation and we were working for the same company and we had a like this was like, dude, the Yankees. Like it was a ball and team. It was just like superstars yeah. on this training team. And I got to manage some of these guys. I was like, holy Jesus. These guys are dope. So I go off on a vacation. And I remember having a conversation with one of my uh, uh, one of my other managers too. Just sitting there going like, you know, man, like I was in a scarcity mindset. And I'm like, All right, you know, I just don't – I don't know who uh, – what if like they're going to work with these really great legendary trainers? They're, I'm never. I'm going to come back to no training roster. And he just sat me down and he goes, man, the best thing you can possibly do is let them experience somebody else. That's They are going to come back to you and say thank you. And they're going to be lifelong. And that's what actually happened. I, I was like very, very resistant to that. I was in a very, very different place than where I am now. This is back 10 years ago now. So even, even longer even. And it's how true is that when you can just be like, here's the guy. And now you're the host of the party for that person, right? Like, hey, right. here's the guy, here's the guy, here's the guy. I pride myself in that now. That's like a that's a skill set of mine. Is that is that how you've um, found 
training, like in, in your career, like going back, is that what got you into moving things around by being able to help the person on the other type of the side of the table? Hmm. You know, if I were going to be a hundred percent honest, I would say I got into training primarily to help myself. You know, the, the, the pathway that I took that, that led me to training, to coaching was, um, very much, a well, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to take on this education, um, because it's going to help me fix myself. Um, you know, when I first uh, took a, a personal training certification, um, it, it was not even because I wanted to be a personal trainer. It's because I wanted the education so I could train myself. How interesting is that? Yeah, yeah. You, um, oh, go ahead. I, yeah, I was just going to say, like, just a follow up on that. Would you say, how do I want to phrase this? Like, what got you, like, that's the... I guess the precursor of the, the next question anyways, like what got you actually into um, helping others? Sounds like it was a personal journey, like for, for yeah. yourself, healing yourself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I would say that rooted within that journey of wanting to fix myself was always the idea that I did want to help other people. Um, the idea that like um, I could save someone else from what I experienced uh if i first learned how to fix it myself um when i first like went into studying uh psychology it was with a a focus on adolescent development because i recognized that during my own adolescent development is when a lot of the um you know long-term bad habits that i formed that stuck with me for many years and held me back were were created so i had this idea in mind that i could you know rewrite someone else's past before it happened um by educating myself on what I went through. Very interesting. Pull it back. Bad habits. What kind of stuff are we talking? Oh, yeah. You know, um, anything that could take me off a course of, of discipline. That was it. You know, um, you know, and we could be talking about, you know, drugs, um, uh, maybe missing some classes here and there deliberately. <laughs> um, you know, and and putting my focus into external validation as opposed to internal validation um, and, you know, looking at the rest of the world to inform my own identity. It was probably one of the worst habits I developed. There it is. Yeah. For folks listening that have heard that and perhaps have yet to really explore what that difference is. I, I see it all the time. It seems like that's a, 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 a hallmark of our current society is external validation, things like social media. Um, what, would you, what would you do, say you've got somebody sitting across the, the table for you and they're completely blind to like the external validation versus the internal. What's the easiest way to, to describe that to somebody who's unaware? Hmm. Yeah, um, so external validation is gonna be I inform an opinion based of myself based on how someone else responds to me. Like if I tell a joke at a party and a couple people laugh, then I'm a funny guy. As opposed to I'm off in the woods by myself surrounded by nothing but the trees and I'd say a funny joke out loud and I make myself laugh. That's internal validation. 
And that's also like the coolest way I've ever heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I just, um, I float, I flowed right into that one. It's so fitting too. Cause most of the videos I'm, I'm just like my, you know, the dog head tilt, like with, with your, with your flow videos or, or any of your posts or anything, it's usually in the woods. It's very, very authentic, uh, <laughs> statement right there. And, uh, you know, right above the monitor that I'm looking at right now is a window that faces those woods. So, um, no kidding. Hey, those woods are, are fresh on my mind. Well, man, it sounds like authenticity is, is, uh, a trademark of the Jeffrey Oaks that, that I know. And that's what I really, really do um, absolutely love about you and, and all of your work is that you are the same guy right here, right now as you are on the social media. There's no friggin' balloons and, you know, charades around it. You're, you're the dude, man. And, and you're such a real soul. How, how does authenticity come out in your movement practice? Man, I don't know how, authenticity <laughs> authenticity <laughs> i don't know how that wouldn't come out because um i mean that's authenticity is such an important thing to what i do and even skirt back just a little bit going to you asked me about what happens as a coach when you've got someone you're working with that's not a great fit or whatever i find that authenticity often takes care of that for you yeah. meaning that if i'm just my authentic self the people who are not a good fit for me, they're going to see that because they're going to see that I'm not moving. I'm not changing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I've only ever had to, you know, I don't like to use the word fire a client, but I guess that's kind of what it is. I've only ever had to do that one other time. And I've had a number of clients over the years that were not great fits and I find that just through being authentic, the, the people who are not great fits, though wonderful people, you know, um, you know, found themselves connecting to others more. And that's, and that's totally okay. Um, so to, to, to move it forward to how does authenticity come out in my movement? Well, well pause oh. right there with, because like the movement is just one part of you. Let me rephrase that. How does authenticity come out in your coaching practice or in, in your practice as, as a, as a human? And then how does that translate to, because it sounds like it's a very, I'm learning, I'm putting the practice in, I'm putting the reps in on myself and then I'm better able to heal another because I've done it. I've experienced it. It sounds like a very experiential uh, process for yourself. So maybe that's a better way to, uh, to handle that question is that, how does that authenticity come out in your coaching practice? You know, even in the breath work, even in the, um, in the, uh, the mindset coaching and then into the movement. I, I went to the Jeffrey Oaks. I know, see, like, this is great yeah. practice for me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I appreciate you, um, you know, redefining the question there. Um, I think that, that, you know, what a great opportunity for me. Um, how to, how to best answer this. I think you hit the nail on the head and and when you said that i'm still on my own journey and that's really what it is you know we've got that phrase we throw around in the coaching world hey coaches need coaches too i pride myself on being coachable and i i keep myself in a learning state in fact the people that you know that i work with that fall off are people who are generally not looking to really be coachable you know, so that to me is like when someone doesn't fit with me, it might be because 
either they're not coachable or they're not coachable to my style of coaching, which is, you know, either is totally fine. I believe that most people are coachable in, in, in some way. And, you know, there's that, that matter of fit. Um, but I pride myself on remaining in a learning state as much as possible. And by keeping myself near my edge of capacity, um, for instance, leaning into uh, breathwork coaching, that's at the edge of my capacity because for me, that's the newest piece. Now I've been doing breathwork in various capacities and even coaching it for years, but to put out there and say like, hey, we're just gonna do breath. That puts me near my edge. That puts me in that place of, well, I'm hungry. It's not coming from scarcity, but I'm hungry because it's new. It's hungry because it's a little bit different. It's a little less integrated. I mean, it's integration capacity is huge, but it's taking it away from what's been my like solid base practice and then isolating a little bit more. So by staying coachable, by staying in a learning state and by staying close to your edge, I think you always maintain authenticity because your energy is, is being put into your own development, your own journey. You don't have the energy to put into being inauthentic because ultimately being inauthentic, I believe, consumes more of our vital energy than being authentic does. Yeah, I would definitely agree to that. It sounds like this is a, a learned thing too. Was there a moment where you realized you were coachable or were not coachable? <laughs> was there a <clears throat> moment? Who taught you? What, what, was the, what was the lesson, man? What, what, how did you come to that? You know, man, I'm going to give a lot of props to my dad here. Um, I think that the way that I just saw my dad move through through his career and through his life, um, he was just he was always at his edge. You know, whether it was, you know, physical in his job pursuits, um, you know, I, I saw him in a number of leadership positions over the years. He was a. Uh, he was a manager, he was winning awards and his later part of his career got put into a place where he was actually you know, focusing on education and training. Um, and so just constantly seeing him seek the next level. He was never a guy that got to a place and then like rested or stopped. He just was always pushing forward. It's still, and it still is. I mean, he's retired now and is, you know, so the, the nature of his projects are, are very, very different, but the dude just keeps moving. Um, and I always saw him having like positive relationships with, I think the people who were his mentors and now, you know, you know, this is me rewinding and looking up at him when I was quite a bit younger, but um, I just always saw him trying to move forward. And in order to really move forward, you gotta be coachable. Um, he was always really good at reminding us to listen to our coaches. You know, I got into martial arts at a young age. I was a runner through, uh, through high school. And um, for the most part, you know, with, with a couple exceptions, I admit, um, for the most part, the coaches that I had were, were people worthy of, of looking up to. And, and having that affirmation from, um, from, from having one strong, powerful, confident male 
tell you that it was okay to look at like another strong, confident male as an influence. Um, you know, I think that at the time I probably didn't realize just how important that lesson was in my adult life. I, I, I see it a lot more clearly and I feel uh, very blessed for that. There it is. And yeah, how cool is that? You know, with you being a family man too, you know, looking up to pops, I, I know so many stories out there where the, the, the home life, um, is the opposite of that, you know, and, and a lot of people got to find their own way. We talk about it in, in our line of work with the ancestral healing work, mm -hmm. you know, if mom and dad haven't healed their wounds, that's going to be passed in and, and you've got to yeah. do twice as much self work, even just to discover that that's part of you, like in your bones. So, I mean, you said a lot of things that, that I'm, I'm trying to connect some dots here. It sounds like it's yeah. a really, really good youth that you had of, of positive role models and mentors in your life in both the coaching world and training and sports and school, also in, in uh, the family life. Crazy cool question, I think, is that is there a difference between mentorship and coaching? Because we often throw those words out there. I see them in, in copy yeah. all the time. Sure. For you, Jeffrey Oaks, is there a difference between a mentorship or a coaching? Is there is there a similarity? Like, what are, what's the difference? Is there? Hmm. I think if I just analyze the words, I'm going to come to the difference being primarily that, like, a mentorship might be someone that you know you can have mentors that don't know your their that they don't know that they are your mentor. A coach usually knows they're your coach. <laughs> But uh, I mean, there have been people that I look to as mentors that may have not known that I saw them that way. So I, I would say that that's potentially the the biggest difference. And that's just through like analyzation of what I interpret the the words to mean. Um, you know, I think when you enter into a coaching relationship with someone, there's, you know, there's typically an agreement, uh, you know, a payment made. And that can often be true with a mentor as well. But there are also those... Um, you know, less formal mentorships, like one of the most uh, powerful mentors I ever had in my life. It, it maybe took him uh, a couple of months to realize that that's the role he was performing. And then and then once he did, he dove like headfirst into it. But I, I think it was more of a, you know, a, a gradual expansion of a very casual relationship as opposed to like, hey, man, I'm going to pay you for this number of sessions and, and whatever. Um, the other thing I want to realize is um, takes us back a little bit, but I think it's important to recognize as well that, you know, when I talk about my, uh, my dad and that upbringing that I had with those very strong values of, um, uh, of discipline remaining in a learning state, a lot of that was because of adversity that we faced as well. You know, the things that got me into martial arts as a kid was a very, you know, unfortunate circumstances in the home life. So, um, so you can't have it both ways. You can come from adversity and trauma and also still develop discipline and coachability. There it is. Yeah, discipline, resilience, all that. Yeah. Man, and I see it still. It's, um, it's powerful. It, you can generally recognize it because of the, the leaders in the coaching communities that we're both a part of, the leaders, the ones that are really there. Oftentimes, when, when you get into the – into the dirt it's it's a pretty traumatic place that they've come from and yeah. and in that them coming out of that taking that warrior walk right the uh the, like being mm -hmm. in that hero's journey finding themselves and then being 
so grateful to be able to share that back, that peace, that acceptance. Um, that's something that I really, really stand for in, in all of my communities. That's what I really look for. You, you were talking earlier about the, the pre-qualification of, of your, even just something as simple as the shop. It's your Instagram. And um, man, how important is that when you're vibing with somebody new or like just to, to understand the peace and the acceptance and the, the willingness to learn everything that you just said in these last few minutes? That's, man, what could be done? Is there, are there rooms to improve in, in the areas that, that you're in, in, in communities in, in either the steel mace flow world or in the breath work world and in your coaching world? Is there, is there anything that you'd like to change or that you'd like to see more of? Hmm. What a, yeah. What a, what a fun question to think about. Um, you know, in the coaching world, I alluded to something earlier. Um, you know, I used that word scope, uh, scope of practice. Um, you know, I would like to see people as much as I loathe the expression, stay in your lane. Um, you know, I, I do think there are some dangerous things that can happen with, uh, with coaches who are, who are not trained in, uh, you know, trauma response or crisis counseling, for instance, uh, because in the coaching world, um, we can, when we're working with folks, we can un uncover some, some serious stuff. And occasionally, um, we'll encounter something that we may not be qualified to deal with. You know, we may be qualified to support in a moment, but there are going to be times where we may have to recognize like, hey, for this one, I really encourage you to, to seek out like a therapist who focuses in on this specific discipline. Um, for instance, like, you know, like me as a steel mace coach, like I have some experience working with kettlebells. I've actually coached kettlebells in the past, but it's not, it's not my jam currently for the person who like, if we're working on steel mace flow and then something comes up for them around the kettlebell swing at a certain point, I'm going to say, this is maybe beyond my scope of what I should ethically work on you with. Um, now, and I recognize a lot of coaches want to be the one-stop shop and I, you know, I respect that, but I, I also do think I would love to see coaches be mindful of their scope of practice so they can more effectively help people because sometimes the, the best way to help someone is to recognize that we're not islands, we're part of a team. And when I'm somebody's coach, I'm part of their, their medicine team, man. Like, and I might not know all the members of their team, but they're like, their doctor, whether it's a holistic doctor or a, a medical doctor is also on their team. Any other coach is part of that team as well. Any other mentor or important figures in their life. Um, so to remember that even though we may like, like in a conversation like this, if you were coaching me, there's only two people in this room, you're still part of my greater team. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that I think is, I think that that is important. I think that's a lesson that, um, a lot of coaches could stand to learn and all things being equal. I am seeing more of that now than I did a couple of years ago. So I think it's heading in the right direction. I would, I would tend to agree for sure. And I still see spots in that in it. it like you said, like that, like stay in your lane. And I, I recognize it. Um, having gone through and lifted recognize that I saw it so much is because I was doing it. Right. It was a it was a clear projection. I, I'd see it in other trainers doing it. And then I'd look back and I remember being in that scarcity mindset 
bringing somebody on and they wanted to do something. There were very few things that I wasn't really comfortable just trying to teach all the time. Okay. Like rather than put it to the person that's a absolute genius of it, my ego got in the way. I went, well, I can do that too. And I want to be that one-stop shop. How much of it do you think? And I love that we got here because this is a, this is a controversial subject. I'm going to put you on the spot on this, right? How much do you right. think of it is, is the, the ego? How much of it is like just dudes and, and, uh, and the ladies that are just wounded that I, I got to be everything to everyone or I've, I am that person. That's a, that's a me thing. Yeah. Um, I'd say a lot of it's ego. Um, I would say that in addition to ego, there's also just a lack of awareness. Like for instance, I think a lot of coaches are just not aware of other resources out there that their, um, that their clients can use. Um, I, you know, for this subject, I, I go back into my past until the early two thousands when I was, um, studying psychology. And as part of my, my psych work, I was volunteering at a, at a crisis line. So I was a volunteer crisis counselor for a couple of years. And it, we, we would, we'd sit in this room. It's a very comfortable room. There'd usually be two volunteers in there at a time. Um, and you had a number of resources available at your disposal. And, um, at a certain point I took on training of new volunteers. Um, and the thing that I threw out there, or the, the, the mindset that, that really came to light for me now that I still carry and I've taken it with me into every leadership position I've been in, every time I'm, I'm in leading a team, is I do not expect you to have all of the answers, but I expect you to know where to find them. And to that end, in this room where we were you know, waiting for phone calls or waiting for people to come in the front door, the thing in the centerpiece on the coffee table is the notebook of resources, referrals, like everything from you know, emergency services to, um, you know, to long-term therapies, to support groups, to you know, other volunteers. I mean, the, we had, you know, we, we could open it up and find another resource that would help. So important too. Right. Yeah. So, and I just think that like a lot of coaches don't take the time to put together their own resource binder, you know, and that was the thing that we had. It was just, it was a three hole binder with, with a bunch of laminated sheets in it. And I think a lot of coaches would be served very well to, to have something like that at their disposal, whether it's a, you know, a list of contacts in a Google document or, you know, a piece of paper in front of them with, you know, number you know phone numbers and email addresses to referral and and this is not to say that as coaches we need to you know give our clients away or anything like that but i think that we have to recognize that if our that we've taken on a service job and our 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 calling is to serve that sometimes the best way to serve is to is to hold their hand and walk them to someone else's door very cool yeah to empower them to to seek more help i mean because that's really what what coaching is about in a lot of ways is empowerment mm -hmm. so i can empower myself to step away from the ego that wants me to be the one-stop shop that can fix all of their problems for them to to being so empowered and confident that's like hey i might not be able to help you with this thing 
So go talk to this person, but we still have all this other stuff that I, I can help you with. So that doesn't mean that our, our relationship is over just because you go talk to someone else for something. Yeah. Having that, that internal confidence and belief in what we're doing is, is huge. Yeah. And that'll show, right. Um, oh, totally. Ryan, Ryan Wall is, I love one of his, uh, now par paraphrased quotes that, uh, that I've thrown around. It's, it's ambition coming from uh, a, a sense of love and abundance is, is like, that's, that's the boom. That's your deal right there. That's the game yeah. changer on the flip side of that. Any sort of ambition, and we've definitely alluded to this in our conversation today, any sort of ambition from a place of scarcity is just doomed to fail, right? Because yeah. if you're like, if you're rejecting putting that person in contact because you're fearing, again, it comes back to that inner dialogue, you're fearing yeah. that that person is going to go. And this doesn't necessarily even have to be negation acknowledged in a coaching conversation. If, if you're unwilling to send your friend to somebody else because like, or whatever the, whatever the conversation is, just good listening skills, like listen to the person, see what their yeah. needs are, ask the questions to get the needs and then send them on their way. If you're not the guy, you're not the guy. If you're not the girl, yeah. you're not the girl. Right. Yeah. And that's cool. Like be cool with that. Go out in the woods. Yeah. Like Jeffrey Oaks says, yeah. you know, be out in the woods and make yourself laugh. You yeah, know? totally. <laughs> Tell yourself a good joke. <laughs> Speaking of which we're going to get into that. We're going to get into some, some fun rapid fire stuff. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, in understanding what, what the, the behind the scenes is about Jeffrey Oaks. Everybody talks about this snow ninja and all that. What does the guy do for like fun though? Like what's the real fun stuff? Like what's the, what's a typical weekend in, in paradise for, for you? So, oh, yeah, well, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of time with my little one. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of time with my little one. Um, I got a daughter, she's uh, about two and a quarter. Um, so she's at a really fun age where she's got tons of energy. She's stringing together words, forming things that are resembling sentences um, and her, you know, her nonverbal expressions are getting more robust. Her abilities to problem solve are increasing. Um, so, time spent with her and 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 right now it could be fun things like taking her outside so she can get into the snow although for some reason she goes outside she just wants to like blow bubbles um <laughs> i didn't know that was a winter sport but if you ask my little daughter it um so that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a big thing um i like coffee i like coffee a lot so um so you know a typical Saturday morning, I'm going to be hand grinding coffee and doing a slow pour over, putting a little time into making a cup that I'm probably going to enjoy over the course. You know, it's probably going to take me less time to drink it than it did to make. Yeah. That's great, man. Fine. Um, right? Yeah. And, you know, and to bring it back to authenticity, you know, the things that I do professionally are not that different than the things I do personally. So I'm going to spend some time in here in this in this space with these objects behind me this these these mace and these bags of things um, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing stuff around and it's gonna be fun um, so yeah it's authenticity man I'm gonna do a lot of the same stuff a lot of the books that I tell people to read um, as part of my coaching I'm gonna make time to read them myself yeah. um, I'm also gonna watch some uh, you know book of Boba Fett and you know, whatever, whatever my daughter wants to watch on TV. She's really into the Peppa Pig right now. So, 
you know, we'll see a little bit of that. Uh, but man, my, um, these days, the life is, um, the life is pretty chill. I'm, I'm do the, the things you see me doing are not that different than what I'll be doing. I'll do my breath work. Um, I'll fire up my infrared light, sit in front of it, draw cards for myself, um, find ways to connect, man. That's, that's really it is to, to continue the journey of, of connecting both, you know, with myself and, um, you know, my spirit, my mind, my body and my emotions, as well as, um, with other people. Um, yeah. And I admit it in the wintertime, the, the other people part of it is yeah, maybe a little bit lower. I, uh, I can, uh, definitely find myself in the, um, you know, the seasonal blues like anybody else. And, uh, you know, then I like to turn my focus into, um, you know, maintaining my own foundation and maintaining my, my own energy levels. And again, that, that, that comes back to authenticity, um, and just making sure that, that I'm in check. Dude, sounds, sounds like you got a real good handle on who you are, man, and how to, how to fuel it and how to catch yourself. Um, when you do start to, to go into those other those other nooks and crannies of uh, the the past former self, you know that inner critic, that uh, that shadow self, whatever whatever we want to put that name yeah. on it. I call them the heckler, you know, with the, the heckler. The, Ooh, the I music, like that. The music fit method, man. So music fit. Yeah. You know, you, you got your inner rock star doing your high kicks. You got your inner heckler calling you and throwing tomatoes, and you know. It's, Easy relation, and I, I truly do believe it, dude. You're a rock star. You're an absolute rock star. A rock star father, rock star friend, rock star colleague in the in the coaching world, and and that that is a journey. I know that that's not just something like oh, I was just born with it. No, it, I mean you were, and you got to find it, right? You got to unleash that thing. So, on that note, dude, um, one thing I did notice, and I was very interested, and I was like, I'm asking this dude. It sounds like you've got a little bit of an audiophile uh, personality in there. You you like the record? You've got the you got the record up. I remember seeing this one post. You were you might have been in a story or something, but you had some banging records and like all over the place too. It was just like yeah. music. Music sounds like it was something that was primarily in. Was it a background thing you growing up? Like what got you really interested in the in the? I would say eclectic tastes that you do have because mm -hmm. you went from you went from everything, man. You're Talk to me about your, your, your vinyl collection, sir. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so my vinyl collection, if, again, if, if you know me, you know that, um, <laughs> my vinyl collection is, is very important to me. Um, and <laughs> I used to protect it <laughs> with like, you know, tooth and nail, like it made all my records were in sleeves. I get cleaned every time I played them as a lot of things change. When you have a kid around now, my record collection is like, Oh, it's, it's also kind of a toy. <laughs> um, so, and my daughter loves to, to go after them. So, um, uh, a couple of the records have taken, you know, hits here or there, but, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's all good. But, um, you know, a lot of my musical taste, my introduction to music, um, you know, just like my dad introduced me to uh, concepts of discipline and being hardworking and having a drive, you know, my mom introduced me to a lot of the music and and some of the stuff that I I still listen to. Um, one of my all time favorite songs, Naive Melody, This Must Be the Place by the Talking Heads uh, from the album Speaking in Tongues. I think that's what 1982, 1983. So I probably was like four or five years old when that came out. I, I remember my mom listening to that record. I have her record. It still plays. Oh wow! Um, so um, 
you know, my mom introduced me to a lot of that stuff and, and things that I still listen to, uh, you know, the talking heads chief among them, David Bowie. I mean, I remember her, I still have her original pressing of heroes still plays. Wow. So, um, so yeah, that was a, that was a big introduction. And, and my mom always liked music. Uh, I just, I remember that being a thing. I remember her and uh, one of her sisters, like being around listening to music. The record player was a thing we always had. We always had like, um, you know, I think that was one of the things that my dad, dad like gave to my mom because um, he was never he's he listened to his music, but he's not like fanatical about it. Um, but I remember him like getting this nice stereo so my mom could listen to it. I remember when he bought us, you know, the first CD player we ever had and, and buying her like CDs to play on it. So I think that um, that my mom like really set that tone for me. And then I say, you know, I got, you know, a little bit more rebellious or whatever and, you know, kind of put some of that stuff on the side and started being influenced more like, you know, a couple, you know, people a couple of years older me than me in school. I remember that, you know, I was coming of age when um, the grunge movement, you know, started. So there was this kind of like new thing that was almost like punk rock, but it was not quite as aggressive as punk rock. And it was a little bit more, you know, emotional in, you know, in other ways. And that, that, that kind of spoke to me because, you know, that was around when I started experiencing, you know, cognizantly depression for the first times in my life. So my, you know, parents started to separate and went down a very unpleasant divorce pathway. Uh, but then this kind of cool thing happened after a couple of years of that, where I started to realize that the people I was listening to and getting really into were heavily influenced by, the people that like my mom was listening to when I was a kid. So this like this like this cool package came together where it just like really all started to make sense to me. And I remember like hearing, uh, you know, rock albums come out and then being like, oh, this reminds me of this like bass line in this old Peter Gabriel song or something like that. So, um, you know, um, yeah. That's much like when you mentioned the the your book, when you got your your students that you they got to read this book. You read this book. It's like that lifeline. Like I'm doing it. I'm doing the work. I find the same thing in, in the artist world, right? As a, as a musician, my, my most favorite thing, just to speak to what you just said is like, I love when I find a band that I'm just into, I want to hear who they listen to. And it's, yeah. it's generally, it's going to come back to the same, like five, right? I'm like, ah, okay, yeah. cool. Makes yeah, a lot yeah. of sense. And those guys, who did they listen to? Where did they get? And then it comes back to the blues and it comes back into like the, yeah. the, the jazz movement or even some, a lot of, especially, I'm sure the stuff that that goes a little bit more uh, the the metal that that you would know is most of it goes right back to your classical, right, right back oh, yeah. to your like it's it's back there. And it's like those guys were listening to that because they were classical guitarists or or and, and they just took that and cranked it to eleven. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah, exactly. It all it like all all the rock in you know in my opinion it goes back to black sabbath and then from there whoever they were listening to yeah right <laughs> that's exactly it everybody's like that's that's the gangster right there that's the and, and same with like the uh the other side of that too is like the your zeppelin and your beatles right you got your yep. zeppelin your beatles your black sabbath hendrix he's one that always comes up like guitar players or whatever you know you listen to mark Knopfler or whatever Gary Strait, you're like hendrix i'm like what <laughs> oh, okay. I, I yeah, I, I hear it. And then my favorite guitarist, like Big Rack and Ian Thornley, Mark Knopfler. I'm like, well, wait a minute. And then Knopfler was listening to Hendrix and Page. Oh, okay. Man, I get it. I get it. And that's why Thornley sounds like Page. I'm like, got it. Got it. Okay. Point of this whole 
<laughs> rambling tangent is like how much of that stuff is all interconnected, right? Like music can connect the dots between a lot of these different things. It's another form of language. You're, you're telling me stories about your emotional state and it has tied to do, uh, had everything to do with the stuff that you were listening to. How cool is that? You know? Yeah. Wow. Well, I think there's, there's also like a, a very, like, I think there's a strong cautionary tale there too. Because, you know, uh, you know, I, I alluded to it earlier when I said I was listening to a lot of victim mentality music, a lot of stuff where the lyrics is very uh, self-deprecating or, or talking about the bad shit. And then when I found a band that was, you know, in a similar style of music, but the lyrical content was different, it gave me this different kind of feeling. And I think it's, it's just, it's very important to be mindful of the things that we're saying to ourselves, the things that we sing to ourselves, you know, because one of the ways that we really in, you know, in our line of work, um, we drive home statements, you know, self-talk by building the self-talk up by adding breath to it or saying it with power. And what are we doing when we sing something? we're adding breath to it and we're doing it with power. So, you know, you, I did this to myself. I mentioned uh, like nine inch nails and I still love nine inch nails, but as a developing teenager, I'm going to be very, very honest with myself and say like me singing those lyrics about hating myself over and over and over and over probably really fed into a negative self image that I developed for myself. And thank goodness I was also singing things to myself like, yes, I'm a new world samurai and a redneck nonetheless, because I think that balanced things out to a certain extent and at least gave me some stuff to build myself up upon. Right. It's we're super spreaders. As soon as we yeah, we, we start talking, it's, it's all about the reps, right? You think about it, you, you put in even in an adolescent, like how many how many years of, of that you put in, let's, let's give it like a, a safe on, on the small side, like six years of negative mm. self-talk in yeah. the most like formative times of our lives. Right. <laughs> like, can you think of that, that, that one song that was the, the one that was like driving that emotion, that negative self-talk. Can you think of the one song that, that hit you? Yeah, um, there was the song and I still actually I still really like the song. It's a great song. It's called Gave Up. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> and, uh, it's on the Nine Inch Nails Broken EP that came out in like 1992. Um, and it's a great song, man. I still love it. I mean, it's super fun to listen to. And now I can listen to it with like a, you know, a completely different set, you know, you know, set of circumstances. I no longer like empathize with the lyrics or whatever, but that was, um, but that was a big one. I mean, there are, there are lines in it about like just smashing yourself to pieces and like, you know, I hate myself for what I've become and, and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I think that that one probably became mantras for me, uh, wow. unconsciously for, for quite some time. Jeez, man. That's, it's like cool that you recognize it. And for those of us who, have yet to that's a scary fact like wow that's a yeah. mantra you listen yeah. like, i i remember three days grace i i the i hate everything about you when that song came out mm. like i was I, I won't listen to the group like i was just that's really excessive 
Yeah. I wasn't in that place, man. My guilty pleasure on that was like Limp Biscuit break stuff, Rage mm. Against the Machine. And it was less about uh, self-talk to him. It was more about fuck the man. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what I mean? It was more about like that kind of stuff, less with Limp Biscuit, But that was, that was like my angsty youth going, yep. growing up with like um, Rage. And now you look at the music that I make, it's politically fueled often, mm. socially fueled alternative rap it's like yeah <laughs> how much influence <laughs> how much influence did that come in from subconsciously i'd argue they're one of my favorite bands in the whole world man and their influences were the same they were all protests right they, they were all protesters so i'm like well okay cool the apple and the tree and you know <laughs> that yep. kind of idea right um very interesting now speaking of guilty pleasures are there are there some guilty pleasures in the, in the music world i know it's it's weird for our line of work it's not a guilty yeah. pleasure it's, what if you say hey i really dig that artist i really dig that song i'd be shocked i'd be like i, I wasn't okay. seeing that one coming. Right. you know that's funny i don't know that i have like any guilty pleasures that would really shock the world here um <laughs> i don't um okay i will say that very recently i um was doing some work on myself and as part of the work um, we we had to pick a theme song, and I I challenged myself to not pick Earth Rocker by Clutch, um, and and it was actually encouraged uh, to us to um, you know uh, at, as men to to seek out something more on the feminine. So I landed on this. Um, I'm probably going to say her name wrong. Uh, Billie Eilish, is that it? No, you nailed she's it. Very, yeah, yeah she's super yeah. super young, but she's got this song called "You Should See Me in a Crown." Cool. And I like I did I fell in love with that song and I jammed it like almost every morning for for a couple of months and like when she gets to this part where she's like saying that line um, like I, I would get pretty hyped man um, so but I don't know when I, but when I listen to the tonality of the song I think it's fairly in line with what I don't I don't think that's very shocking but um, but yeah definitely a little bit more outside of my box. Jeff I'm I gonna. I gotta lay in on on my way in on this is dude you're an open open-minded dude you're, you're a free thinker so like if i say hey dude and this is where i'm gonna go with this if you had like clutch comes to you okay mm -hmm. they come to you they go listen bro we we got our song here earth rocker we got to make it a hard decision we've had justin bieber asked to cover that and we've had taylor swift asked to cover that I don't know who to pick. Jeffrey Oaks, could you please Snow Ninja this for me? Who do we pick? Who covers it, Earth Rock? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah? Yeah. That was oh, yeah. quick. Could yeah, man. that was real quick. Okay, why? And why? Um, because like Earth Rocker, it's I, I feel like it's it's a very masculine kind of song. It's 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 assertive and and I would call it developed masculine because it's not like putting anyone else down. It's not like yeah, I would, well, I would just say that it's it's on the masculine side of things, and I imagine if Bieber were to cover it, he would probably take that aspect of it and, you know, turn it up a notch or put his own spin on it. But if we, you know, allow someone like Taylor Swift to cover it, it's likely she's going to find a different kind of sensitivity in it. Yeah, it's likely that she's going to find yeah. a completely different um, expression of it, and I would love to see like what the what the feminine would bring out in the earth rocker yeah dude very very cool and then i'm gonna i'm gonna put this one on there just because i 
really always wanted to ask you this too, is um, with, with the martial arts, um, coming back into the movement practice, what, what specifically is like your favorite, if you had to just, we're going to go bro here a little, what number <laughs> one exercise, and that can be anything. Number one exercise, is it a martial arts movement? Is it a steel mace blow thing? Is it a strength conditioning piece? What would you say for anybody out there who's just like looking to get into uh, moving better? What what's the what's the number one game there for for like exercise tips? Like what's the number one movement out there that'll get you the most bang for the buck? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I got it. I got you. Okay. All right, I can do it right here. Please. It's gonna go like this. this. Is perfect. Lateral breathing, brother. Dude. Expansive breathing. That's it. That's the number one thing you need. You need to be able to, to breathe out in all directions. You need to remember that when we say breathe deep, we don't just mean deep and down. We mean out in all directions. Yeah, yeah I think expansive breathing is, is uh, the number one thing. Uh, beyond that, um, I'm going to take a, a cop out and throw a couple other things at you um, yeah. and say I think that... Um, I think a sun salutation, the standard yoga sun salutation, including a vinyasa is great, great for mind, body and spirit. You get a little bit of a press, you get a pull, you can add in a little bit of a squat to it. Um, and then we, there's also the time to breathe within it. Um, outside of that, I think a kettlebell swing is, is real tough to beat too. Fantastic. Now, yeah, I've, I agree with all of those. I'm like, yeah, the foundation is the breath. And you're, that's two for two on that same question. That's, I mean, guys, anybody listening, talking to two breath coaches, <laughs> like breath is so important. And just bringing it down, we see it in our language work too, just getting you out of that stress cycle. Like, holy, right? I'm going to take a spin on, yeah. on the final. I like, I like the mic drop moment here. Because the whole show is all about unleashing rock stars. And, and we've had a conversation that's really, really shown me a lot of um, how much you appreciate the, the community and, and, um, and, and how that is. So before we get into the, uh, the, the final mic drop moment here for you, I'd love for you to give, um, because this is the thing, man, like where can people get in touch with you? And what are you currently doing that, for people are like this guy cool i want to i want to get into his world what kind of things are you offering right now that you're you're really looking forward to uh to bringing people into on your on your world right on man thanks for asking that well if you're into steel mace flow check out steelmaceflow.com um you'll find information about the practice there you want to work on it specifically with me uh finding me on my instagram at jeffrey.oaks j-e-f-f-r-e-y.o-c-h-s is going to be an easy way my personal website is a2steelfit.com um, that's going to be updated in the near future so we're going to have some changes coming down the pipe uh, you know a2 steel fit was uh a2 is the local uh colloquialism for ann arbor um which is the one of the biggest cities that i live nearby um but hey man at this point 90% of my clients are nowhere near that city. So it doesn't make sense for that to be a, a part of my identity anymore for the rest of the world. So um, I've, I've shifted my business identity to intention and flow. Um, and there'll be a website launching to come along with that in the in the near future. Um, 
to that end, I run a weekly steel mace flow and mindset and breath program called intention and flow. We meet every Monday live on zoom and run through a class and then uh, class recordings get posted. We've got our little community slide. It's not little, it's actually pretty big. We got uh, quite a few people in it. Um, we've got our Slack channel where we have some extra communications and such. So uh, pretty cool little community growing there. I said little again. Um, uh, awesome. <laughs> freaking community growing there. Um, so if you want to work with me on a weekly basis and connect with some of the awesome people that I get to connect with, that's the channel. Um, also, I'm going to say it here first. No one else knows this except for uh, maybe one or two other people I've talked to this, this morning. Um, I'm working on a breathwork course. Keep your eyes out for that. That is exciting news. The... Uh all access exclusive pass you heard it here first folks that's fantastic yes, and i'm not going to say anything more about it anything more about what it's going to be like except for if breathwork is new to you intimidating to you this is going to be a very good thing for you dude you're speaking to the right people here too it's um it's such a undervalued piece of, of especially as a musician or a creative in there like oh, just yeah. getting your breath down part like when i'm in studio with somebody that's the coolest part of my gig right like just to speak to yeah. yours bringing somebody in and bringing that coaching thing as a producer is just mind-blowing you put in those 15 half an hour max at the top of your studio session mm -hmm. that studio session is just flip much like a workout you do the proper prep work and you do the proper take care of yourself every day kind of stuff you do all those small stones man the the end product is just mind-blowing i'm so happy that you've got some stuff there for for the introductory and and also like I, i've been in your classes man it, it's it's something that can be very well adjusted even if you've been swinging a maze for years i'm, I'm sure there's always something that you can find and and discover in yourself too like you you approach the room the same way right like yeah. ready to learn man yeah and when you come to to my steel mace flow classes i mean yes you're gonna move yes you're gonna work yes you will sweat you're also gonna go on a journey like yeah. i my steel mace flow classes i feel very confident saying they are an experience yeah dude the, the work that that's what i'm saying is that the work that i did with you is the stuff that i'm bringing into the studio experience here we'll put i've got the mesa sitting right over here i'm like and i'm i'm like dude this is a sick fire flow let's get that let's get you pumping let's get you moving let's get some and and your your warm-up and and the breath that you bring all of that stuff i incorporate with my people so thank you for for the work that we've done together and and being able to go through the honors program with with you man that was legendary so i mean I, I've, I've got a lot i've got a lot more to learn and i'm very excited about that uh being on that journey and, and having you in the corner too right man so Dude, thanks for uh carrying that work man it's a yeah man thank it, you it's I'm, I'm honored that you carry that much love much love now the fun time okay we talked about all the communities and and i want to change my my pitch on this last question for you i want to make <laughs> this personal because I know that you're gonna you're gonna knock this one out of the park on it. If we had to bring on, I know, yeah, he's looking. Oh, that's a very nice. That's a Mark McGuire right there. And I elbow up and there, and I. <laughs> hey, you saw it, dude. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, I love it. I love it, man. I'm like, oh, it's, it. it's like a McGuire meets Bautista here. Holy, you get back yeah. up for me? Like, what is this? <laughs> right. 
Now, Are we just going to talk about baseball for the next couple of hours? Because I'm game. So this is something that oh, the world God. probably doesn't know about me. I'm let's, big let's baseball. Let's go here. Let's go here. Okay. <laughs> okay. You got to be uh, you Red Sox. What are you? Come on, man. You know where I live. Nah. Uh, nah. Detroit Tigers Jason. all the way. Dude, yeah. I, I even got a, I got a tiger tattooed on me. Dude, I I know that, and that's why I wanted to. Um, I've got, like, a tiger up on the wall there. Um, I mean – buddy buddy like and, and detroit doesn't mess around our sports teams might suck but hey we're gonna we're gonna defend them ballers, tooth and though that's the thing is that you're just so uh and and i wanted to like anytime the jays or the a's those are my two teams right like okay. I, yeah, first, yeah. I have two teams i know it's weird it's like okay here's the thing i'm canadian i love the jays as a kid yep. uh, the first ball game i ever got to go to though was was an a's game because I, I missed the game in in the in San Francisco, uh, uh, my flight was delayed. I was I landed in, and this is like the the time of my my check certification. So I'm I'm in uh, San Fran, with J P Sears, one of my first mentors. We come back to the mentor thing. Oh right on. And and I'm like I'm in San Fran. There's baseball. This is fantastic, and I missed the game. But then they told me, well, that was last night, and like the A's are playing and they're just, and I had, hadn't done the logistics on that and realized how close yeah. Oakland is to, to San Fran. I'm like, Oh yeah. Just over the, just over the Bay. Now have I got a story for you? This is like the equivalent of somebody wearing a Liverpool Jersey in a Manchester United. It's just like, don't do that. Right? Like that's the hood. I'm, I picked up a, I picked up a giants cap cause I'm thinking I'm going to a giants game. There's this guy on the train going, you ain't from around here, hey boy. I'm like, no. He's like, I won't take that cap off, man. I'm like, all right. And he just goes back to like rocking in the train. I'm like, oh, yeah. God. I'm like, yeah. oh, why? And then we come up into like the Coliseum in Oakland. If you've if you've ever been, man, that is the hood of all hoods. And those two rivalries are just like, don't do it. And I, yeah. I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> I would have walked in with a J that got straight yeah. beat down. Like, yeah. <laughs> like not a good thing. Um, but no. that was my first, uh, and that was their, that was their run back, uh, 2012. That was their run when they were like basement and then they picked up and passed the, the Rangers and they were in the series 20 minutes into like my first professional baseball experience. Coco crisp walks up to the plane we're talking like warm up i get my popcorn and everything i'm out in like the fan zone coco coco crisp Dude, yeah yeah <laughs> yes and he's he's uh i'm trying to think he's a switch hitter and i'm trying to think if he cracked i i want to say he cracked that left first swing of the bat my first ever ball game 20 feet away from me home run and i had no idea what was going on the place blew up and everybody starts doing this i'm gonna do it for the camera here everybody starts doing like do you remember the bernie lean oh that yeah coco crisp like you can bernie lean i can bernie lean and he was just going wild that's why my song is a walk-up jam dude that's why i asked those questions i'm like dude that's yeah. what i learned because the whole coliseum just started just doing this thing it was an yeah. electric environment man I, I had yet to experience anything like that so that's the A's and the J's, and both of them couldn't beat the Tigers ever. Verlander, <laughs> I, I'm like, God, this guy, this guy killed us. He's got two crazy eyes. 
That's what it is. I, I'm it's, it's the different color of eyes. It's he's got a heater that nobody could hit, and I was just like, man, for that formative time of like J's or A's, neither of them could be the Tigers. <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> no, it's 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 been a minute. You know, it's it's been a minute for the Tigers. Um, yeah. But I remember. I still remember when they won the the World Series in 1984. Um, that was like I think one of the first times I got to go to a baseball game was that year. And it was, uh, they played the Boston Red, Red Sox. I got to, my dad took me to the old Tiger Stadium, which has since been torn down. And uh, uh, for a while they had a baseball field there, which I always thought was real cool that they tore down a stadium to make a baseball field. I think they played like some little league games there. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's been, a, it's been a minute since the Tigers had any um, massive, massive success. But when you know when you talk about uh, Coco Crisp and his song, what that actually reminds me of is going back to the Red Sox. And uh, for a few years, they had that, um, that closer, John Papelbaum, who always oh, used yeah, to come yeah. out to uh, shipping out to Boston uh, by the dropkick Murphys, which, I mean, cool. dude, if you want to talk about, like, stadiums going nuts, like Fenway, when you're playing the dropkicks, during their closer dude that's some okay. energy there that is some energy and like people people who aren't into baseball don't understand the kind of energy that gets created around that sport because people watch it on tv and they're like this is this is boring it's slow paced and you know and maybe it's gotten more so over the years with various rule changes and such but um but yeah, man, when you're when you're there and you get one of those moments like what you were talking about, or like Pablo Bomb storming out of the duck, uh, you know, Just it's coming out yeah. to the drops. Oh, dude, yeah, I know. The other one that always shocked me was uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, Riviera. That that when he came out with his like, and all of New York is like all of the you know, <laughs> the, the Cuban and uh, like. Yeah. New York just erupts. I'm like, ah, oh, it's over now. Part like, that's that's how powerful that music is. His walkout jam. I forget who it was. It was like it was somebody like Iglesias. I'm sure. Like he came yeah. out to something that was like a classic Latin banger, and everybody's yeah. like sambaing around in the friggin' stadium, and they're going electric. And of course, you're gonna amp that up. That environment just dictates so much energy. And until like I was the same. I was the same guy. I was like, eh, ball. Yeah. Then I experienced the game. I'm like forever fan, forever. I po I bought the Coco Crisp jersey, dude. He was my favorite player. Nice. Like, I was just like, yeah, he's like, I love this guy. Like he is so yeah. cool. Yeah. And it just gives you a reason to be a part of that community because like the whole tribe just goes, yeah. right? Sport, music, same kind of thing. That's that rock star energy, right? Mm -hmm. And in a really weird way, it ties back to the final question. Who's, who's the Who's the next rock star? Who's the next rock star I should have on this show? Because what do they do? Oh, shit. you know what I mean. Yeah. What do they do that brings that rock star out? What? What? Who's your Who's your level gangster rock star, brother? Wow. Wow. Make it a two part because I also want to give you. A, yeah, we'll we'll start. We'll take it there and we'll give you a plus B. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this is a tough one. Who's the next rock star? Um. Man, I'm like going through, you know, my my list of some of my students and um, my peers, and I mean, there 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 aren't many people I would want to exclude from that. Yeah. Um, we can I know we have a a mutual friend in the uh, in the lioness. 
So I, I um, you know, I, I think that she's going to be doing some really big things over the next couple of years. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Hardcore hints in there, man. Now what, and this is where we'll close this is the part B. What does she do specifically for other gangsters out there that are like inner gangsters? They haven't figured it out. What, how, do, how does she unlock that to, to unleash that in a rock star? What's she doing specifically or what have you noticed? It's very vulnerable with her journey. So do you yeah. say I mean, that's, that's the key? I think that it's a big part of it. Um, I think that, you know, much like I alluded to earlier, you know, I wanted to fix myself so I could help other people. Hmm. And I think that um, people see inspiration in people's healing journeys. And people who are vulnerable enough to express and show their healing journeys are playing into that authenticity that we've been talking about this whole time.